worship team for leading us in musical worship. Uh, just two more things I want to quickly highlight. Um, they probably don't want me to do this, but, but I'm going to highlight them anyway. Maggie, this is your last Sunday here for a while. She is going to Greece for until November, is that right? And you're going to study and Brielle, you, oh, that's right. Oh, my goodness. So, well, we're excited for your opportunity over there in Greece, but we will miss you here. And then um, Heather Phillips, yeah, I just said your name. Uh, you are our new preschool, one of our new preschool teachers, right? So there you go. So we hired Heather. Um, <laughs> so we're excited to get all that ministry up and launched for the community. Once again, there's still enrollment. If you have a child in preschool, some of you didn't know this, but we do have a preschool uh, that's running on our campus here, and uh, there's more information. Uh, we can connect you with the people that know more than I do about that, but uh, it's our second year of the program, and we're excited to offer that to the community. Um, Psalm 1-1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. When we started this series a few weeks back, we discovered um, that the person who avoided the wicked, sinful, scoffing way was blessed. They were categorically a happy person. Psalm 1 goes on to say that that person who avoids those things, that person will end up flourishing. They will produce fruit in their lives. Their leaves won't wither. They will prosper and their way will be known by the Lord. Those were really, really positive things as we started off this sermon series in the book of Psalms that will take us 15 to 18 years to get through, right? But that day on Psalm 1, we really only talked about the blessed man and the blessings that that blessed man was blessed by, all right? But here's the thing, what happens if you end up walking in the counsel of the wicked for some time? What happens when you stand and associate yourselves with the way of sinners? What happens then? What happens if you end up sitting at the seat of scoffers? So we talked about all the positive things, but we never really highlighted the negative components of Psalm 1. And the truth is, is that we all do this at various times in our lives. We, we do those things often. So... To be wicked, according to Psalm 1-1, it means to be guilty of a crime. Have you ever been guilty of a crime? Anyone ever broken a law of the land, right? Has anyone ever broken a law of the Lord? So let's just quickly stack ourselves up against the ten laws that were divinely revealed to Moses by Yahweh himself on the two stones tablets that were engraved, right? Let's see how we do with the Ten Commandments. Let's look at number one. Exodus 20, verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. Well, have you, have I, have we ever dethroned God and put something or someone else in his rightful place, even if it was just for a nanosecond? Anyone guilty, right? Guilty, guilty, right? O for one. We don't even need to go any further in the laws, right? Remember our James series? Whoever keeps the whole law but fails at just one point has what? Become guilty of all of it. So 
Number one, guilty, 0 for 1. Not going to make it. Wicked. By breaking the first commandment, we deserve to be condemned by all of them. The wages of that, just that one sin is equal to death. And for one sin, our first parents were banished from the garden. For just one sin, in the eyes of a holy God, we become filthy, guilty, and innocence eludes us. All of that just to say, look, we're wicked. We're wicked. We're all guilty before the Lord. None of us are innocent. Me, I'm not innocent. Not even one of us. So that means strike one. Well, then how about this? Do you and I ever stand in the way of sinners? You know, as opposed to walking, standing is more of a settled and stationary act. It's like you've grown comfortable and arrived in some way. Is there any area of your life in which you are missing the mark of God's standard and yet you've kind of grown comfortable with it? Have you ever just grown tolerant or callous to the Lord's conviction? Was your initial conviction over that particular sin no longer the same level of intensity as your current conviction level? You've just kind of settled in your mind, you know, this is just what I struggle with, this is who I am. There's no use trying to change anymore. I'm just kind of settled in this. Yes, I've missed the mark of God's standard, but really kind of who cares? It's just who I am. I've, I've grown comfortable with my immoral behavior or my frantic, worried, fretful state of mind or my grumbling or my complaining, my defiant attitude towards my parents. You're just kind of like, that's what everybody else does, so that's who I'm going to be. Have you grown comfortable in standing in the way of sinners? If so, yes, we all have, in some ways, strike two. So now our lives demonstrate that we're wicked, strike one, and sinful, strike two. And here's the last category of Psalm 1-1. How are we doing with not sitting in the seat of scoffers? Well, what does that mean? What does it mean to be sitting in the seat of scoffers? Well, walking is one thing, standing is another, sitting is as settled as you can be. You know, it's just kind of fixed, it's permanent, it's bolted down, it's just kind of relaxed. You're tired of walking, you're tired of standing, so you sit and you take a load off. And Psalm 1-1 talks about people sitting in the seat of scoffers, and that makes me wonder, do we ever sit around in proud judgment over God and His ways? Do we ever read any exhortation from this book and then sit in judgment over it and just kind of laugh it off? Yeah, I know what it says, but... And then we fill in our hot take on why that particular exhortation doesn't apply to our current situation. <laughs> yeah, right. I know what it says, but I, I'm not going to do that. There's a lot of things in this book that when I read them, sadly, my initial reaction is to doubt whether or not God's perspective is the right one. For instance, the last thing that comes natural for us is to do good to those who are doing evil to us. It's natural for us to want to take an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. 
Sometimes, a lot of times, I end up counseling children or teenagers, and I counsel them, even my own kids, and I talk about this. Sometimes we are sinned against, and we determine that the best way to overcome that evil that was done to us is to counterstrike with an evil of our own. And so I'll say to them, those that I'm meeting with, so your solution is to overcome evil with more evil. Is that right? But didn't Paul tell the Romans, don't not become overcome by evil, or do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good, right? So we're in direct opposition to what God's word has said. We all struggle here. This isn't just like me counseling little kids and teenagers. This is us. Think about this as it relates to you and your spouse, When your spouse misses the mark that God has set for them and how they should relate to you, do you overcome that by making sure you hit the dead center of the mark that God has set for you to relate with them? Or do you feel liberated to miss the mark right back at them? And we start going down the toilet bowl, right? Because we're overcoming one another with more evil. Do we overcome evil with good or do we compound the problems in our most sacred relationship by returning evil for evil? Sometimes we scoff at the ideas that are presented in this book. Yeah, I know what it says, but man, it feels good. feels good just to let it rip. Sometimes we scoff at the ideas in this book. How about this one? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. You say, are you kidding me? School starts this week. Kids are like, ah. Parents are like, yay. All right. Maybe, depending. How about our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us? Really? Really? Recently, I've been flooding my bed with tears at night. I have a hard time believing that. Ha. I scoff at it. If God is for us, who can be against us? Man, it sure feels like the whole mainstream culture is against me and us as we try to walk the narrow road in the footsteps of Jesus. How about don't let your hearts be troubled? Man, all my heart is these days is troubled. I feel like I'm often paralyzed by worry, fear, or anxiety. We hear these things And yet we sit in judgment over them and we kind of inwardly scoff at them. Strike three. So Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who does not do all these things that we're really guilty of actually doing. Strike one, strike two, strike three. You and I are out. We have to walk back to the dugout having failed the admonition of, get this, the very first verse of an 18-year-long series. (laughs) We are failures. So what happens if you end up walking in the counsel of the wicked for some time? What happens when we stand and associate ourselves with the way of sinners? What happens if we end up sitting in the seat of scoffers? We better turn to Psalm 6 and put what we see into practice there. 
Let's open up God's word to Psalm 6 and see what David did when he found himself struck out, walking back to the dugout, missing the mark completely of what God's standards were for him. He writes about it in Psalm 6. And I would invite you to just keep your copy of the scriptures open, whether you have an electronic copy or paper copy. The words are going to be on the screen, but we're going to reference this a lot, so just keep it open because there's something I want you to notice a little bit later on too. This is what David says. To the choir master with stringed instruments according to the shimineth, which is an eight-stringed instrument. You know, most guitars have six. There's some seven strings, but this is an eight, eight one. It's pretty sweet. A Psalm of David. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you, and Sheol, who will give you praise? I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eyes, or my eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. Let's ask God's blessing on this time. God, we're finally in Psalm 6 here. Um, It was important for us to look at Psalm 1 to begin to understand why David would even write something like Psalm 6 because he found himself having struck out and missing the mark and failing on the first three admonitions of, of what not to be in the psalm book that we have before us. And so God, I pray that we would now turn our attention to Psalm 6 and see the remedy, the solution for that guilt feeling that we have inside of all of us when we choose to walk in the way of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or scoff at the commands of God. God, I pray that you'd bless us now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, in the last couple of weeks, we've looked at some lament psalms and we've learned how to respond when our worlds are messed up because of other people. Remember the acronym TCAT, right? Thundercat, Burgers the Cat. Anybody remember that? <laughs> right? We cry out to God. We, we turn to God. We confess our anguish. We ask for his intervention. Ultimately, we just entrust ourselves to his plans, okay? We learned how to lament when our worlds are messed up because of other people. Other people have done something to you and you're not good with it, so you turn to God and you confess it and you ask and you trust him for your plans because your world is messed up. This week, we're going to see how to respond and lament when we have messed up our own worlds by our own choices and sin. Yes, we live in a world where we're sinned against, but there is a world that we live in where we sin against others and ourselves, right? We mess up our own worlds because of the choices that we make. And that makes me think, well, that seems pretty applicable, right? I mean, there's a lot of things that happen to me in my life that are out of my control that I end up suffering for. 
But there's just as many, if not more, times in my life when I end up suffering because what I've personally done or failed to do. There's even psalms for that. (laughs) Multiple psalms for that. They're called penitential psalms. And that's what we're more than likely what we're dealing with here today. Sometimes it's hard to categorize different psalms. There's different elements of them. But this is David expressing remorse. This is what we see happening in Psalm 6. Psalm 3, 4, and 5 are personal laments based on the circumstances that were happening to David external to him. But Psalm 6 is a personal lament based on the circumstances that David got himself into. Now, it is true that there's no mention of specific sin like we see in Psalm 32 or Psalm 51. We'll eventually get there. But all the indications of David being penitent are here in Psalm 6. And the reason why it might be nonspecific is because David is chronicling for us a generic way to deal with sin. One commentator said this, that this psalm may be historically nonspecific to allow for repeated use. Like it was written as a song for like the whole nation to sing, to know how to deal with sin when they've messed up their lives. And so I actually think that's a pretty valid thought. Here's the question. What should we do when we've missed the mark and we've offended God? Because we've all done it, filthy, guilty, and no one is innocent. We talked about that. So what should we do when we've missed the mark and we've offended God? Look at what David did. Psalm 6, verses 1 through 3. This is amazing. This is what it says. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, For I'm languishing, heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled, my soul is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? Four times he turns to the Lord. He go, it's like the same progression. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn to God with this. I messed up my own world. I need to go to him instead of running from him. And that's what Adam and Eve did. They recognized that they messed up, so what did they do? They covered up. This is the opposite. This is, this is David going to God and said, oh, Lord, look at the mess I made. Four times. He didn't run and hide. He went right to God, and he asked in verse 1 to not be rebuked and to not be disciplined in some sort of punitive way. David says, look, I deserve what's coming to me, but I want the rebuke to be corrective and the discipline to be restorative. He wants God's just anger to affect him in a positive way. He wants God's discipline to correct him and not just burn him up with the chama of God. Like, what did you just do right there? That's the Hebrew word. Chama is the Hebrew word for heat. Some translations will say wrath. And David is saying, look, I can't take the heat. I got to get out of the kitchen. I'm in trouble I am in trouble because of what I've done. I don't want the heat to fall on me, so I'm going to you to talk about it. And so in verse 2, he asks for the chanan, which is the idea of showing favor. 
He wants God to show favor to him. Depending on what English translation you use, it's either this idea of mercy or grace. doesn't really matter. The idea is God wants to show favor. David wants God's favor to be upon him instead of the fervent heat, even though he deserves it. And so David is asking for God to change his demeanor toward him because he's languishing. He's languishing. What a powerful word. He's exhausted. He is worn out. His body and his soul have been affected. He's spent. He's at the end of his rope. There is no rest for his physical body, no peace for his soul, and he needed God to do something about it. So look what he asked God to do about it. He says, heal me. Although David doesn't explicitly talk about sin here in Psalm 6, he does in Psalm 41.4 where he uses this exact same formula where he says this, As for me, I said, O Lord, be gracious to me and heal me. Why? For I have sinned against you. It's the same formula you see in, in chapter 6 of Psalms and 41 of Psalms, except David says, for I have sinned. He's asking for grace and healing. He's asking to be healed and to be stitched back together because David found himself torn apart by the consequences of his sin. His suffering, look at it, his suffering had a physical component to it. He says that his bones are troubled. And in verse 3, he acknowledged that his suffering had a spiritual component to it as well. He says, my soul is also greatly troubled. Listen, if your bones are in trouble, then your whole physical body is in trouble. If your soul is greatly troubled, then the whole inner person of who you are is troubled. David says that every aspect of what it means to be human is disquieted. He's in trouble. There is both a physical and a psychological consequence for his sin. David had gotten himself into a mess, and he couldn't get himself out of it, and so he turns to the one who can, and he says to him, But you, oh Lord, how long? He turns to God. Essentially, it's like almost as if he, he remembers that God exists. He's so focused on how he's suffering, and then all of a sudden his mind shifts. And he's like, but you, oh Lord, this is me, but you. He's so focused on himself, but at the end of verse 3, he turns his attention to God. And he says, but you, oh Lord, this is the predicament that I am in, but you exist, and you can do something about it. This is who I am, but you. The shift in David's mind is beautiful. Now, this is where you won't be able to see it on the screen because there's going to be too many words. They'll be too small. But look in your copy of the scriptures that you're holding in your hand, whether it's a printed copy or an electronic copy. This was fascinating to me as I was reading and studying Psalm 6 over and over and over again this week, trying to figure out how do we preach this passage. There's a repeated word that you need to see here. It's amazing once you see it. Do you know the most repeated word in the psalm? Look in there. Look for a moment. And you're going to see it in a moment. The word that's all 
over the place. And Psalm 6 is the word my. It's all over the place. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. It occurs 13 times. My, my, my. 13 times over, my. That's why I called the message, my, my, my. We're all failures. Look at it. My bones, my soul, my life, my moaning, my bed, my couch, my tears, my eye, my foes, my weeping, my plea, my prayer, my enemies. Man, that's a whole bunch of David focusing on David. What about God? This is amazing. What about God? Verse 1, we hear David talking about God as he mentions your anger and your wrath. And then David wonders how long, but everything changes for David in verse 4. Because it's no longer God's anger or God's wrath that's being experienced. It was God's steadfast love. Why? Because verse 4 tells us this. Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. God had turned toward David and delivered him and saved him. And God turning, delivering, and saving David was by means of his steadfast love. At the end of verse 3, David turns from himself, essentially turns to the Lord, and in verse 4, the Lord turns to him, bringing deliverance and salvation. Amen? That is beautiful. David was guilty, but it was as if someone had taken the heat for him. Someone took the heat for David, and in the fullness of time, we know who that was. So often, we suffer for our sins, our sins, but we want to acknowledge our gratitude for the one who ultimately suffered for our sins. His name was Jesus. That is the main point of the message today. We are all failures and deserve what is coming to us But when and where we failed, Jesus didn't. He never walked in wickedness. He never stood idly by in the way of sinners while missing the mark that God had set for his life. He never ever scoffed at the commands of his father when obeying them made his sweat become like drops of blood. Not my will, but thy will be done. He didn't strike out on any of the pitches that we so often strike out on. So it's in our best interest to have him come in and pinch hit for us. And have him knock it out of the park and then share all of his accomplishments and accolades with us. I wasn't thinking about talking about baseball this week. I promise. It just kind of came together in the message. And it just so happens the Mariners hit like a thousand home runs yesterday. Right? But we need to have Jesus come in and essentially like pinch hit for us. Let him knock it out of the park. And then he can share with us all of his accomplishments and his accolades. We should go to him. We should humbly ask him to deliver, save, and heal us. Amen? And thank God 
It's not just his anger or his wrath, but it's his steadfast love towards us indicates that he indeed is willing. Amen. On the rest of the psalm, I just want to take a few moments to help clarify some thoughts that might be coming to your mind as you read Psalm 6 on your own. But we already kind of talked about the main point, but we were only through the first four verses. I want to talk to you just briefly through the last remaining part. In 6.5, he says this, For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? What David isn't saying here is that there's no afterlife. It's clear from other passages of Scripture that David penned that he clearly believed there was, and he was actually looking forward to it. So he's not saying there's no afterlife here. What he is saying here is, I don't want to end the rest of my remaining time here in anguish. I want to be restored and healed so that I can live the rest of my days bringing you praise. It's the song that, that uh, Shane led us in, right? May all my days bring glory to your name. That's essentially what David wants to have happen here. And look at all the sorrow that David experienced. This is super highly emotional language, is it not? David is very creative in how he talks about this stuff in verses 6 through 7. I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all of my foes. This is very dramatic. This is very poetic. And think about this. These lyrics or to be layered over the top of music. The superscription of that psalm says, with stringed instruments according to the shimonith. That's more than likely some sort of eight-stringed instrument. This is like David's audition to join an emo band. All right? Dashboard confessional, my chemical romance, panic at the disco. They got nothing on David here. Right? Some of you are like, what words are you saying? I can see some of you looking at each other, and you're all over 40-something, right? <laughs> all right. <laughs> David's in anguish here. He's just like, he's not doing good. But he puts what he, his feelings and his emotions into music. And he introduces the idea of some of his sorrow might be coming from foes. And he says it again, he brings them up again in verses 8 through 10. And if you've been listening, you'll say, now wait a second, Sean, I thought you said that David was in anguish because of his own sin and not because of the sins of others. And if you're thinking that, I want to say thank you for listening. That is what I said. So why is David so emotional about his foes in verses 7, 8, and 10? Well, here's the thing. God can use other people as his instruments of his discipline to use their intentional acts of evil against you to accomplish his ultimate good. God can do that. And the final verses of this chapter, David's confidence rises because of his heartfelt remorse and weeping and his plea for repentance resulted in the Lord turning to him Delivering him, saving him, so he could praise him for the rest of his days. And so this is what David says to close out the chapter. Depart from me, 
all you workers of evil. David was guilty of wickedness and missing the mark and sinning and scoffing, but now he's saying, look, depart from me, all of you workers of evil, for the Lord, Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer for what? To be delivered and saved and healed. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. So this is amazing. This is so beautiful. David, who was experiencing shame at the beginning of the psalm, now is saying the enemies of David are going to experience that shame. So to wrap this all up and put a nice bow on top of all of it, please notice one more thing. Look at verse 2. Look in your Bibles. Look at verse 2. What were David's bones in? Somebody say it. Look at the text. What were David's bones in? Trouble, right? Depending on your translation, they're in trouble. My bones are in trouble. In verse 3, what was David's soul greatly in? Look at the text. His soul was what? In trouble. Bones in trouble. Physical person in trouble. Soul, inner person in trouble. Now look at verse 10. Who is ashamed and in trouble now? David's enemies. David's enemies are in trouble. Which makes me think, do you know that our ancient foe, the greatest enemy of our soul, is in trouble. He is in big trouble. Do you know that the devil's days are numbered? Do you know that he is an appointment with an abyss that he will be thrown into? Do you know that the eternal fire, the heat of God, was prepared for the devil and his angels, according to Matthew 25, 41. Yes, he might be troubling us, but he is in some major trouble. But potentially, so are some of you. Because although hell, the heat of God, was prepared for the devil and his angels, Revelation 20, verse 15 says, If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. That will be a great day of trouble, not just for your enemies, but for you yourself personally. But all of this trouble can pass you and I by because unlike David, Jesus suffered not for his own sins, but for the sins of his people. He willingly took the fervent heat of God for us. He took it upon himself, the punishment that all of us who had gone astray rightfully deserved. So hear this. Believe this. Trust this good news that is coming to you right now. And take heart and keep to the path that's narrow. And if... And when you ever divert from that path, David in Psalm 6 has shown you how to get back on it. You cry out for God's mercy. 
You cry out for his deliverance. You cry out for him to deliver you and save you and heal you and put you back together. And that can only be found in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? So we shout to him. We shout to him. We say, God, would you please Heal, deliver, and save me so that all the rest of my days I could live in fervent praise of what you've done for me. So let's do that now. God, we pray. We pray that the rest of our days would be filled with lips that are filled with praise, that you would see that our footprints are walking in the narrow path as we follow you. God, we so often divert from the path. And we find ourselves in major trouble and receiving your just anger and your discipline. But I pray that it wouldn't just be punitive, but it would restore us and make us turn to you instead of run away from you and hide in our shame and remain greatly troubled, both physically and spiritually. God, that is just not a good way of living. There's no way we can exist in a state of blessedness or happiness like Psalm 1-1 says, if that's the case. So help us to turn back just like David did in Psalm 6 and ask for your great deliverance. And we're grateful that it's not just your anger or your discipline, but it's your steadfast love that has allowed us to sing these songs of praise now. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.